both of the psalms which we've read before in these studies on covering. The first is the 91st, the, the 91st psalm. There are, as we have said again and again in the previous studies, so few people who really understand what covering is about. Most people seem to associate it only with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But covering is one of the main themes of the Bible and goes far beyond our understanding. Uh, it goes back into eternity past. It goes on into eternity future. And uh, here in this psalm we have it summed up. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover thee with his pinions and under his wings shalt thou take refuge. His truth is a shield and a buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night nor for the arrow that flieth by day, for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. For thou, O Lord, art my refuge. Thou hast made the Most High thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy tent. For he will give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all, his, in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent shalt thou trample underfoot. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high, because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So that speaks really mainly of being preserved from evil, of being secure and safe. Now if we turn over to Psalm 118, here is another psalm that may not at first sight appear to be about this matter of covering, but in fact it is. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy, or steadfast love, endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his loving kindness endureth forever. 
Let them now that fear the Lord say that his loving kindness endureth forever. Out of my distress, I called upon the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? The Lord is on my side among them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to put confidence in princes. All nations compassed me about. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. They compassed me about, yea, they compassed me about. In the name of the Lord, I will cut them off. Thou didst thrust sore at me, that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song, and he is become my salvation. The voice of rejoicing and salvation is in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die, but live, and declare the works of the Lord. The Lord hath chastened me sore, but he hath not given me over unto death. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will enter into them. I will give thanks unto the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter into it. I will give thanks unto thee, for thou hast answered me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders rejected is become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, we beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, we beseech thee, send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. The Lord is God, and he has given us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will give thanks unto thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy his steadfast love endureth forever. Dear Lord, we do once more this evening tell thee, Lord, we are utterly dependent upon thee, both for speaking and hearing alike. Take, dear Lord, this time and make it live to us, we pray. Hide the poor lips. And grant, we pray, our beloved Lord, that we shall hear what thy Spirit has to say to us. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.
Now, any of you who are back from holiday, who've missed the last um, study, or even two studies, I can only suggest to you that you listen to the tape. I think it's quite important, because we can't go over again what we have said in this matter. We've, may, we've rambled through the Old Testament, if for no other reason than just to give some understanding of the profoundness of this matter and really the mystery that surrounds so much of it. Uh, and then last week we spent um, the whole evening upon what really covering means. We discovered that it simply means to be in Christ. It's as simple as that. And out of that comes phrases like the name of the Lord, the blood of the Lord, the righteousness of the Lord. All these are different ways of looking at being in Christ. Uh, we spoke about abiding in Him. Our life hid with Christ in God. What it is to be hidden in Him, covered. To abide, to stay where God has put us. To remain where God has positioned us, in His Son. That's the believer's position. Not just related to His Son, but in His Son. And then we spent some time on what it means to put on the whole armor of God. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Uh, we found in Romans 13, um, related to the armor of light. And then in Ephesians 6, this whole matter of putting on the um, uh, whole armor, every piece, every piece, one piece missing and you're uncovered. And the enemy will direct all his attack against the one spot that is uncovered. Now, this evening I want to speak about the danger of getting uncovered. So, of necessity, uh, this evening is going to be a little more negative and, I dare say, to some, a little frightening. However, we'll trust that the Lord, over it all, will make something much more positive uh, and uh, help us to keep our eyes really clearly on the Lord. The danger of getting uncovered. If the believer is in Christ, what is the danger of getting uncovered? uncovered. Satan has an overall objective, one supreme aim upon which he bases his whole strategy and plan, and it is to get the child of God uncovered. This is the overall objective of the devil. It is precisely the same with the church. We speak of the recovery of the church. Think about it for a while. The recovery of the church. It is the, it is the enemy's objective concerning the whole church to get it uncovered and thus to destroy it. It is the supreme aim of Satan to get the work of God in its many aspects, uncovered. He has got to draw us out of Christ. 
He's got to entice us away from our position in him so that we are no longer abiding in him, no longer remaining where God has placed us. But practically, positionally, we're there. But practically, we're out. Out. And the enemy's whole plan is to entice us. Entice us. He can't do it by just saying, look here, get out. Every child of God, even the youngest believer, would recognize that as Satan. If something shouted at you, if something even whispered at you, Get out of Christ. Get out of Christ. Don't abide in him. It's not safe for you. It's not good for you to abide in him. We would say, that's the enemy. I resist that. But Satan is the most intelligent being in the universe. And his intelligence has somehow or other been passed on to the whole hierarchy of evil. He knows exactly what he's up against. He's not going to have a frontal attack like that. He's got to, by wiles, by guile, by deceit, as an angel of light or a minister of righteousness, with all the appearance of good, somehow or other to entice us so that slowly but surely he can draw us out from our position, get us uncovered. Now, the devil is very much like a chameleon. He colors himself to his surroundings. So he um, uh, watches us. He finds out our weaknesses, our temperamental weaknesses, uh, weaknesses that come from our background, weaknesses that come from our circumstances, and he colors himself so perfectly. Uh, to our circumstances, to our weaknesses, to our failings, that we have great difficulty sometimes distinguishing that it is the work of, the, of Satan at all. If Satan cannot get us to be careless about putting on the whole armor of God, or putting on the armor of God at all, shall we put it that way, then he will seek to get us careless about some one vital piece. Now there are some believers who don't know really how to put on the whole armor of God and so to be able to stand. But when he finds that a believer does know how to hide in the Lord, does know how to abide in the Lord, then he turns his attention to getting them to leave one particular and vital piece of the armor out. Whatever that might be. So that in one way or another, his supreme aim can be reached. And that aim is to get us out from under covering. He knows better than any believer, any believer, Satan knows better that the child of God has absolute safety in Christ. He knows that there is nothing he can do until the child of God is uncovered. Now let that sink into you because it's the positive side of it. There is absolute safety for every child of God. 
whilst we abide in Christ, Satan cannot reach us. He has to meet with Christ first. Our life is hid with Christ in God. Before Satan can discover us, before Satan can reach us, before he can touch us, he's got to come to God and Christ. Our life is hid with Christ in God. When we're abiding in him, the first person he meets is Christ. He meets the righteousness of Christ, the power of Christ, the authority of Christ, the mercy of Christ, the grace of Christ, the work of Christ. He meets it all before he can get at the believer. When we're abiding in Christ, there's absolute security. Let your hearts be lifted up this evening. As it says in the scripture, confirm the feeble knees and lift up the hands that droop. Don't let the enemy, by his propaganda, get you to believe that somehow or other it's a, almost a lost cause, that we're all so stupid, all so dim-witted, that we're bound to get uncovered and we're bound to have a lot of trouble from Satan. Trouble? Yes. But it's the trouble that comes to the Lord Jesus first. In other words, there is a wonderful safety for the child of God whilst he abides in Christ. Whilst he remains hid with Christ in God. Whilst he has the whole armor uh, upon him. Satan knows that there is absolutely nothing he can do until he's got us out from that position. Therefore, with all his intelligence, with all his deceit, with all his guile, he will do every single thing to get us out. Nor will he give up. If he hasn't got you out in a year, he'll go on for a second year, a third year, a fourth year, ten years, twenty years, thirty years. Right at the very end, he'll try to get you out. He'll not leave. His whole aim and object is to get you uncovered, get you out. You may be young in the Lord, the enemy's out for you to try and get you out. You may be old in the Lord, the enemy's out after you to get you from undercover. It is much more than just a question of negatively being safe in Christ. Let your hearts be lifted once more on this whole matter. It's not just that you're negatively safe in Christ. That is, no harm can come to you. The enemy cannot touch you. He cannot reach you whilst you're in God's Son. Let us go on to the other side. Satan knows very well that whilst we're in Christ, we're not only safe, but we must win. He knows better than any one of us that the overcomer is the Lord Jesus Christ. He knows that everyone who's in him will overcome. Everyone who stays there must win. He knows that he can do nothing about it. It's a battle already fought and won. And that's why we have the most wonderful scriptures. Satan cannot bear them. Things like these scriptures. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. But thanks be unto God who always leadeth us in triumph in Christ. 
Now, if the Apostle Paul had only said sometimes leads us in triumph in Christ, it would have still been marvelous in our eyes. But that he said always leads us in triumph in Christ. He saw, as the, another version puts it, that the believer has been put in the train of Christ's triumph. It's Christ who's the victor. It's Christ who's won. And the believer is in the train. Or again, think of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 57. But thanks be to God who giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and says, Wherefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. Satan knows that through Christ victory is given to us. It's given to us. It's an already obtained victory. It's given to us. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. And you know, just in a aside, digressing for a moment, you will notice that this particular victory that he's talking about is all to do with dead people. People who are dead. Can they do anything about raising themselves from the dead? Of course not. But says the scripture, thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. The whole lot will rise in Christ. That's the kind of victory that's ours. And Satan cannot do a single thing about it. He cannot do a single thing about it. Every time we put a dear believer's body into the ground, we, we, we signal the end of Satan's reign. The end of his power. So great is this victory of our Lord Jesus Christ that not even the bodies of the saints are going to be left. They're going to be raised incorruptible. Not the redemption of our Lord Jesus Christ is so great that it covers the body. That's the victory which is ours, obtained for us through Calvary. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. Well, if I go into the grave one day and you all lay me in it and the Lord uh, sort of tarries for another 20, 30 years, what will become of my body? We will not go into it. But there won't be much left of it after 30 years. But think of it. I will not be able to, to do anything about it. I may be in the presence of the Lord, beholding the face of the Lamb. But think of it when the trumpet of God sounds. That old body of mine, that corruptible thing which has gone back to dust, gone back to earth, will be brought back together, reconstituted. A redemption body like his. What a victory. Now, if the victory means that, what about the kitchen sink? What about the children? What about the office? What about Satan knows that in Christ we have the victory? Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. It's not that we're negatively saved. It is that we're positively victorious. Now, victory doesn't just mean that you have one of those seraphic and theatrical smiles that sort of is pinned up from ear to ear. Some people think victory is that kind of thing, but no, it isn't. When the psalmist said, I shall yet praise God, who is the help of my countenance, that was victory. He couldn't praise the Lord at that point, but he said, I will do. I'll be through this. Satan wrung his hands when he heard the psalmist say that and wrung them even more when he wrote it down. How 
How could some believer say such a thing when I've made him so miserable that his chin is on the ground? And there he sits down and says, I shall yet praise God. How is he going to praise God? I'll make it worse for him. Why, the psalmist is saying, it's not just going to be that things are going to turn, my circumstances are going to turn. It's going to be that suddenly the Lord's going to bring me out into the place where I can praise. Victory is mine. Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the only way you'll get victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. The way my body's going to be raised one day if I am put into the earth. And yours. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, if God can work a miracle like that and all the saints from all the age, the whole age are going to be raised incorruptible, think, be steadfast, unmovable. Don't let the kitchen sink move you out of Christ. Stay in him. You are unassailable when you're in him. Satan can't touch you whilst you're in Christ. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That office, which is so difficult. That brother, who you find so terribly difficult. That sister, who you can hardly get on with. Think of it. Don't get moved away. Don't let the enemy somehow push you out of your place in Christ through that. Be steadfast, unmovable, always running, knowing that it is God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Victory is not then just some bubbly thing. It is something which is deep and intensely practical. Then again, look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 37. Why, you know these so very well, these wonderful scriptures. No, says the apostle, in all these things we are more than conquerors. If only he had said, by being delivered from all these things, we are more than conquerors. That's how many people read this. But it doesn't say that. It says, in all these things we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. And I think in our, some of our new versions, it changes the preposition to in. Well, it doesn't matter whether it's through or in. It means the same thing. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. In nakedness, in peril. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. When we're in Christ, we are more than conquerors. Out of Christ, we're abject failures. Absolutely defeated. We may have all the knowledge of the Bible in the world. We may have a past testimony of God's goodness and grace. But it stands us in no good stead if we've moved out of Christ. For then we are a contradiction in terms. Here we are, the child of God. Abject defeat. Here we are, children of God. Absolutely bound. Here we are, children of God. And we don't know, not experiencing what it is to be being saved. Well, there are so many, many things we could talk about in this connection. I think of Ephesians 2 and verse 6, 
where it says we've been made to sit with Christ in heavenly places. No wonder the apostle says, don't forget whatever else you do forget. Don't forget to put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all, he says, to stand. Why, the apostle has seen something. That dear, dear apostle, he's seen something. He's seen that the weakest believer in Christ is unassailable. And the strongest believer outside of Christ is defeated. He has seen that the person with the most superficial knowledge of the Lamb, who yet remains in Christ, will be absolutely victorious. And the person who could write a tome on the Bible, who moves out of Christ, will be absolutely paralyzed. Victory. Satan knows that we're not only negatively safe and secure in Christ, he knows that in him we are victorious. Therefore, Satan must get us to uncover ourselves. If he's to paralyze the work of God, if he's to frustrate the work of God, if he is to destroy the effectiveness of God's working, he's got to get the believers to uncover themselves. Whilst they're in Christ, he can do nothing. We are, of course, warned many times about this danger. We have already pointed out in the last two studies the many, many warnings through the world. I want to add a few more which are very, very solemn indeed. I want first 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8. Be sober. Be watchful. For your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. What solemn words. Now, most of us don't think the devil would ever get us, let alone devour us. But the Apostle Peter, writing to elders, as well as to the church, says, be sober. This is a serious business. Be watchful. Don't go to sleep. Don't turn off, and if you're on one of those trips all around the world just at present, come back in your mind. Be sober, be watchful, for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion. Wouldn't you think a believer could hear a roaring lion? I'm told if you go to the safari park, you can, at feeding time, you can hear them roar with all the windows wound up and the doors tightly closed and going through at a gentle, whatever it is, 15 miles per hour. You can hear clearly the roar of the lions. But some believers are so unwatchful that they never hear the roar of Satan. He's hungry. 
walking around, seeing who he can devour. How can he devour anyone in Christ? He must first devour Christ. How can he devour anyone whose life is hid with Christ in God? He must first devour God. Can Satan devour God? The only way he can get at your life is to devour God and thus devour Christ and you. But he cannot do it. So he walks about to see who is out of covering. Who has got out of Christ? Who is not abiding? And the moment he's got his meal. Oh, many of us have been meals at times for Satan. And what a meal. When Satan gets us, he really has a meal. We shall come, if not tonight, another time to the wonderful ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, without which none of us would ever come through. But thank God for that ministry. However, just at the moment, we have this rather more sobering thing. Let's just look at uh, Revelation chapter 12. From verse 9 to 12. And the great dragon was cast down, the old serpent, he that is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was cast down to the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. And I heard a great voice in heaven saying, Now is come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accuseth them before God day and night. And they overcame him because of the blood of the Lamb and because of the word of their testimony and, because of the, uh, and, and they loved not their life even unto death. Therefore rejoice, O heaven, and ye that dwell in them, Woe for the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down unto you, having great wrath, knowing that he hath but a short time. Oh, there's only one safe place for us to be, and that's in the heavenlies. There's only one safe place for us to be, that is to be seated with Christ in heavenly places. Then we are overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, because we love not our lives even unto death. Woe to us! If we come down to the earth, descend to the flesh, take again the old man as the basis. Satan's come down to that realm, and everyone who's found on it, he'll try to get. Turn again to another scripture, 1 Corinthians 11. These, of course, are supplementary to the ones we've taken before, but they're solemn warning. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 30. Well, we'll read verse 29. For he that eateth and drinketh, eateth and drinketh judgment unto himself, if he discern not the body. For this cause, many among you are weak and sickly, and not a few sleep. Now, this is not just to do with the actual Lord's table and the taking of actual bread and wine. This is to do with what that bread and wine symbolizes, represents, expresses. And it says that it is possible because we do not discern the body of our Lord Jesus Christ to so get ourselves uncovered that we become weak, that is, paralyzed, ineffective, bound, 
sickly, that is, some of these plagues that we're promised will not come to us, will come to us, either physically, actually, or spiritually, and sleep, which you all well know, is not some poetic little word about just falling asleep spiritually, but means to physically die. So serious is this matter of uncovering that it's possible not to lose one's salvation, but to lose one's physical life. Now in 1 John chapter 5, And verse 16, we're told, If any man see his brother sinning a sin not unto death, that is physical death, not spiritual death, he shall ask, and God will give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. Not concerning this do I say that he should make request. Oh, how well some of us know that scripture when we prayed for a certain person and prayed and prayed and prayed. We didn't understand that scripture in those days. We prayed for that person's healing. And every time we prayed, at the very moment we prayed in the name of the Lord, they had a far worse attack. Until one dear old brother not in this company phoned me up and said, I can't understand it. I have been the whole morning in prayer for so and so. But the Lord has said to me, you are wasting your time. He said, I even pleaded the trespass off him, but it was no good. Now that is how solemn this matter is. Now just in case you still don't uh, accept such a possibility, turn to 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 5. Now we know, of course, that the Lord did some extraordinary things as he did with Ananias and Sapphira in the early days of the church. But the way you treat a chapel is not the way you can treat the church. The way you treat some congregation of believers is not the way you can treat the body of the Lord Jesus Christ when it's in expression. And all through church history, whenever the church has found some expression, however poor, Men have withstood it or gainsaid it or argued with it or all the rest of it. There's been the same thing. Read the story of the Wesleys and Whitfields. Go back earlier to some of the Quaker times. Oh, you'll find it everywhere. Now here the Apostle says in chapter 5, verse 5, to deliver such a one, a brother in the Lord, unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh that the spirit may be saved in the day. Of Jesus Christ. Now maybe you don't understand that. Never mind. But let it be a sobering thought. And let the fear of God come to us. In this matter. This is what uncovering can lead to. The destruction of the flesh. Physically. That the spirit may be saved. Unto the day of Jesus Christ. Well now, coming back from perhaps the more extreme uncovering, such as that, to the more normal and general uncovering that most of us get into, we must say that so often, instead of heeding these solemn warnings, 
and being alive to the danger, we are ignorant of Satan's devices and designs. Absolutely ignorant. As we often say, it is it has happened before we know where we are. Now that's a very good phrase in this connection. It has happened before we know where we are. We're outside of Christ. Before we know we're outside of Christ, it's happened. And even then, in many instances, I know believers who don't know what has hit them. Why? Why this? Why me? Why should it have happened? Now, of course, we have to be so careful when we speak like this, because the people who shouldn't take this to heart do, and the people who shrug it all off are the people who should take it to heart. It's the most extraordinary thing, so we have to be very, very careful. Or we find suddenly that folks who've got some inexplicable problem, which is a thorn in the flesh, and has nothing to do with this matter at all, it has come by sovereign and divine permission, suddenly begin to wonder, oh dear, oh dear, have I uncovered myself? Where have I done it? But you know, before we know where we are, this has happened. And this is the whole problem. Surely this is precisely why the Lord Jesus, in that pattern prayer in Matthew chapter 6, from verse 9 to 13, why he taught us to pray that we should be kept covered. That's how I put it. Now, what is the phrase? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them the trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now you will see that in the Revised Standard Version and in your uh, American Standard Version, it is from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the word temptation is trial or testing. Oh, Lord, don't bring us into a trial that will entice us in such a way that we get uncovered, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, do we pray enough in this way? Just because we know we're justified, just because we know we're absolutely safe in the Lord Jesus Christ, this is no uh, um, reason for saying, I don't need to pray anything like that. The Lord Jesus gave us a pattern prayer. He said, when you pray, these are the essential things. And one of the things you must always remember to pray is, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I think that if such a consciousness of this danger came upon us that every day of our lives we were to pray this prayer, not these particular words, but we'd say, Lord, now I'm abiding. Keep me abiding. Let an alarm bell ring in my spirit the moment I start to move out. This is what the Lord means. Pray along this line. Don't just take things for granted. <laughs> How then do we get uncovered? How do we get uncovered? I think that's a really important question. How? I can only list some of the ways 
which are representative of many others. Now, I cannot possibly go through all the many ways, they're multitudinous, in which we can get uncovered. But I can take just a number, and from these give you some understanding, from the Word of God, uh, how you get uncovered. First of all, not walking in the light. Look at 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. 1 John, I'm sorry, chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message which we've heard from him and announce unto you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in the darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light. We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, will you just note that if we are not walking in the light with God, as God is in the light, not according to our ideas, but according to his, that's more objective, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. It's objective, not subjective. It's not what I see as light, so that I can say, well, I hadn't seen that, I just hadn't seen that. Walk in the light as God is in the light. The book is your guide. You'll see light in his light. Walk in the light as he is in the light. And the blood of Jesus Christ goes on cleansing you. It cleanses you from all sin. Now what happens if you don't? No fellowship with God. And no cleansing. You're uncovered. And if communication with God is broken and you still go on thinking you've got it, you get into deception from deception to bondage. Because, as he says, if we walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with him, we lie and do not do. So simple a thing. Satan knows this very well. What does he do? He brings two people together who at the beginning are walking in the light. Then he brings up difficulties. And before you know where you are, no more light. No more light. Things being hidden. Things being buried, things being pushed under the carpet, the dust being swept under there, and it being put down. Something's happened. Something's happened. No more walking in the light. I know some people who are afraid to go to certain meetings, meetings or even hear certain speakers. Now why? If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, Unless something intuitively tells us if, if God meets you in this, it'll break you. So we go back. And without knowing it, we're uncovered. We've gone back from the light. Instead of walking, instead of a progress in light, there's a deterioration into darkness. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, the only way you can get more light is to obey the light God has given you. That's a law with fellowship, in fellowship with God. 
How do you get uncovered? God puts his finger on something in your life. And you say, no! And God puts his finger again upon it gently. And you say, no! And God puts his finger again a third time. And you say, no! God doesn't do it again. Sometimes he does. Sometimes he does. But from that point, darkness. You can sing the hymns, you can read the Bibles. Those who haven't got any discernment will still think you're going on full steam. But those who've got any spiritual discernment at all will note that something's being turned off. Walking in the light as he is in the light. Now don't, don't, for, for God's sake, don't just shrug off such a thing as this. Think to yourself what the word of God says. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanseth us from all sin. But if we don't, a second way of getting uncovering is just not to forgive. Not to forgive, it doesn't say believers, not to forgive any single other human being. Think again of the pattern prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive them the trespasses. Why did the Lord do that? Why did the Lord do that? Taught us to pray, forgive us as. In other words, if there's someone I cannot forgive, dead or alive, I get uncovered. Now, don't again try to get out of it. Look at um, uh, um, 2 Corinthians, chapter 2, verse 8 to 11. Wherefore I beseech you to confirm your love toward him. For to this end also did I write that I might know the proof of you, whether, just wait, is that right? Yes. Uh, whether you are obedient in all things, but to whom ye forgive anything, I forgive also. For what I also have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, for your sakes have I forgiven it, in the presence of Christ, that no advantage may be gained over us by Satan. Have you ever noticed that? That no advantage might be gained over us by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his devices. Even the apostle says, this man whom I have delivered to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, I forgive. Now that he's repented, I forgive. You forgive and I forgive. Because if I don't forgive, Satan will get an advantage. Uncovering. We're not ignorant of his devices. Some of the modern versions say his designs, but it's the same idea behind it, what Satan's up to. Not forgiving. Not forgiving. Have you, do you remember the story in Matthew 18 about the two debtors? 
Bob mentioned this the other Sunday morning. One who had so much and a man who had very little. And the master forgave the man who owed so much. But that one would not forgive someone else who owed very little to him. And was prepared to, to really put the pressure on him. And so the master said, throw him into jail. He shall stay in jail till he's paid every single penny. And then he explains in Matthew 18 and verse um, 35, So shall also my heavenly Father do unto you, if ye forgive not every one his brother from your hearts. So some of us have got parents we can't forgive. Some of us have got children we can't forgive. Some of us have got relatives we can't forgive. Some of us have got bosses we can't forgive. Some of us have got some Christian brother or sister we cannot forgive. And we have no idea that this unforgiveness is getting us uncovered. Inexorably. We're being pushed out of our position in Christ by our unforgiving spirit. Unless God can get us through on this thing. Unless we can forgive as he forgave us, give us such a revelation of his forgiveness to us, that we can forgive, we'll be out. No longer hid with Christ in God. A third thing, I think we have time for two more, uh, not loving one another. Now, maybe you'd never thought that just by this simple way of not loving one another, we get uncovered. Of course, it's part to do with not forgiving. But uh, just look, 1 John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, we often miss these little phrases, I think, even when we know our Bibles well. 1 John 2 verse 10, he that loveth his brother abideth in the light, and there is no occasion of stumbling in him. Now, the modern versions both put it like this. Just listen. The Revised Standard Version puts, He who loves his brother abides in the light, and in it there is no cause for stumbling. Phillips puts it like this. The man who loves his brother lives and moves in the light and has no reason to stumble. The New English Bible puts it like this. Only the man who loves his brother dwells in light. There is nothing to make him stumble. In other words, if I don't love my brother, I'm not only not dwelling in the light, but I'm uncovered. I shall stumble. I shall fall. Is this why so often many believers fall? When we first become children of God, we love all the saints. We think they're the most sweet, godly, innocent lot that ever you set your eyes upon, but when we get to know them, oh dear, the shocks we have, the disappointments we have, the disillusionments we have, betrayals, and many other things, we're let down, till in the end we wonder, can I love, can I love, can I love, but if I don't love my brother or sister, I'm out from cover. Again, it is an absolute law. The moment I no longer love, that moment 
I am being pushed out of my position in Christ. Do let it sink in. Covering is one of the most important things in the whole word of God. A fourth thing. An untamed tongue. An untamed tongue. James chapter 4, not 3 first. James chapter 4, <clears throat> verse 11 to 12. Speak not one against another brethren. He that speaketh against a brother, or judgeth his brother, speaketh against the law, and judgeth the law. But if thou judgest the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. One only is the lawgiver and judge, even he who is able to save and to destroy. But who art thou that judgest thy neighbor? Turn back to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5. And verse 14:15, whole law is fulfilled in one word, even in this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed of one another. Now, there is uncovering. Can any Christian be consumed? Yes. Yes. If you bite and devour one another by the kind of talk, loose talk we can indulge in, back chat, chit chat, tail bearing, whispering, and all this kind of thing, we bite and devour one another, we are in danger of being consumed. The thing will come back like a boomerang, a great backwash will consume us. I've seen it happen again and again. A backwash which has come and swamped the person concerned. There's a tremendous amount in this matter of the tongue. Go back to James chapter 3 verse 2. If any man stumbleth not in word, the same as a perfect man able to bridle the whole body also. Verse 9. With the tongue we bless the Lord and Father, and therewith curse we men who are made after the likeness of God. And now see verse 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. A restless evil full of deadly poison. Now, it is a sobering thought that this is addressed to believers. J James goes on in the next chapter and says, Speak not one, in, one against another, brethren. This tongue with which we bless God and sing his praises and read his words and pray is the same tongue we can use against one another. But it's not only against one another we can use the tongue. We can use the tongue against the Lord and not even know it. How again and again we can say things about the work of God which Satan hears. Now people say, ah, but God knows my heart. 
Yes. But the same God who knows your heart said, by every word that proceedeth out of your mouth shall you be judged. Out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. God just doesn't look upon the heart and say, oh, it's all right, it's all right. God knows very well the kind of thing that comes out of a mouth. It's a, it shows a little straw shows which way the wind is blowing. The tongue can no man tame. Oh, there are so many things. I think that of all the ways in which we get uncovered, the tongue is one of the major causes. Sometimes I nearly bitten my tongue. You said something before you know where you are and you just feel dirty. Oh, I, you think. I feel dirty. I'm uncovered. I shouldn't have said that. Sometimes you listen to someone else telling you something about another believer and you know in your heart you ought to say, I don't want to hear it. But you listen and afterwards you feel dirty. You're uncovered because you've not dissociated yourself, you've become partaker with that sin. And you're unclean. You're uncovered. Sometimes we can talk so inadvisedly about the work of God, the will of God, the purpose of God. I think about years ago when people said things, this and that and the other, about the way that we were going, the will of God, the purpose of God. They laughed at it. They derided it. They told us that we were a lot of fools. We got big ideas. We thought we were going places and all that kind of thing. God taught us some lessons. Don't argue. Don't get involved. Keep your mouth. And where are they? God said you shall look for them and you shall not find them. And it is absolutely true. Not one of them can we find. When we take on something, God leaves us to fight it out. But when someone speaks against you or says things against you, and you leave it to the Lord, he takes it on. The tongue. May I put, just show you a few other scriptures? The book of Proverbs, chapter 13. Of Proverbs, chapter 13. Verse 3. He that guardeth his mouth keepeth his life. He that guardeth his mouth keepeth his life. But don't you know many people who don't guard their, their, their lips? And they've still got that? No, it doesn't mean that. It means he that guardeth his mouth keepeth his soul in life. But go on. But he that openeth wide his lips shall have destruction. Uncovering. In other words, a person who just opens their mouth and just says everything. Destruction. They get uncovered. Again, look at Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 23. 
Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. He keeps covered. The one who watches his mouth and his tongue keeps covered. Let me uh, turn you back to chapter 17 and verse 20. He that hath a wayward heart findeth no good, and he that hath a perverse tongue falleth into mischief. Oh, dear child of God, how easily this little tongue that no man can tame can get us uncovered. We can say things about a message we've heard. We can say things about someone else's way with God. We can say things about a company. We can say things about a work of God. I've heard things said about OM that I've trembled for. Because I, not here in this company, thank God, because it's so possible to say something inadvisedly with the lips and uncover yourself. Without knowing it, you're opposing God, and God has heard. If God hears the conversations of those that fear his name and writes them in a book, will he not also hear the conversations of those who speak inadvisedly with their lips? It's not just that God wants to, to cause trouble or be severe. We have an enemy, an enemy who listens to everything, who picks up so many things and goes, as it were, into the presence of God and says, so-and-so said so-and-so. Uncovering. Well, there are many, many other ways that we'll have to leave to next week. <clears throat> All kinds of ways that uh, I think we ought to look at. Don't uh, just, uh, as we have to stop at this point this evening, uh, feel just uncomfortable. We all have this tongue. And it is a comfort in one way that the Lord has said, the tongue can no man take. He says every beast is tameable, but not the tongue. But God can do the impossible. He can tame the tongue. <clears throat> he can teach us how to get those inner frustrations that so often come out in our words dealt with. Those deep roots of bitterness, how they can be pulled out. He can show us how we can positively experience all that God has given us in Christ. How do we get uncovered? If only, <clears throat> if only it was just a simple matter of, uh, of not claiming the blood of Christ, as some people think. If only it was a simple matter of somehow or other uh, uh, defaming the name of the Lord. Getting uncovered 
is a complex matter. There are multitudes of ways in which we can do it. Only God can show us. But let us be positive, finally. There is absolute safety for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And although we haven't got there this evening, we will next week. Never forget the Lord Jesus ever lives to make intercession for us. In other words, when you've used your lips inadvisedly, when there is an unforgiving spirit, when we cannot love someone as we ought, when somehow or other our tongues run away with us, the Lord is praying. He said of Peter, who got himself uncovered, and all the others, the other eleven, Satan has got you, has desired to have you, or obtained you by request, that he might sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you, that your faith fell not. In other words, they got uncovered. Satan had come in, but the Lord Jesus was interceding. They'll come through. Thank God for the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ who sees us, our situation much better than we do, who understands us much more deeply and fully than we even understand ourselves, who loves us with a love that is stronger than death and who ever lives to make intercession. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that just Shall we bow together in prayer? <clears throat> now, Lord, we commit ourselves to Thee. We pray that Thou will not allow this stu study to be just negative, Lord, just one that may be somewhat frightening. But we pray, beloved Lord, that positively we may all know what it is to enjoy absolute safety in the Lord Jesus Christ and to know, dear Lord, that in him we must overcome. Lord, show this to every one of us, we pray. And where we have got ourselves uncovered, when we get ourselves uncovered, show us, we pray, how to get back quickly. Oh, Lord, as swiftly as we can. Dear Lord, show us this, we pray, and write this message in our hearts. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.